Okay, my name is Jo, and uh, like Sue has already said, I am the lead pastor at Laos Christian Fellowship, and uh, I have been there this Wednesday for 19 years. And, uh, yep, no, I went for three, and uh, God had other plans, and I'm going to tell you what a few of those plans were, but I, I want to talk about what happens when the book stops with you, because when I, obviously, 19 years ago, I didn't go there as the senior pastor, that would have been a disaster. That would have just been absolutely crazy. Most people would have left within the first week, I think. But um, 19 years. So I, I worked under um, our senior leaders for quite a long time. For 16 years of those 19 years, I worked under our senior leaders. And uh, it was an absolutely crazy journey for me. And uh, just to give you some highlights of uh, my journey before I go into what I want to do th- this morning is look at what do you need to do when the book stops with you? Whether that is in a church, whether that is in a youth setting, whether that is in, um, you know, any kind of setting at home, anywhere you are, when you are the person who has ultimate responsibility, and I know that it's God's church, but he gives it to human beings to shepherd and to lead. So uh, when the book stops with you, what do you do? And we're going to look at a few things this morning that we need to do. But my journey into um, senior leadership has not been a straightforward journey, okay? It has not been a straightforward one by any stretch of the imagination. So I packed up my bedroom uh, 19 years ago into our white Peugeot and uh, and moved to Louth. And it was kind of to start the dream. We went as a, as a youth and kids pastors and uh, there were no youth or kids um, other than Liz. Liz was like one of our only youth. And uh, so there was, it was probably about five young people there and uh, hardly any kids. And we went as the youth and kids pastors. And so it was just going to be this amazing adventure. That's, that's what I went for. And it was going to be an absolutely crazy adventure. We were probably going to stay there between three and five years and then move on and uh, and go and carry on with whatever God had got for us. And I moved there with my fiancé, and, uh, and we started just doing what we'd been taught. I did a thing called Ace Teams for three years, and uh, we just did every drama sketch that we knew from Ace Teams, and every assembly that we'd learned. We probably have a, have a repertoire of about five. And, uh, and so like we would just do all of those things, and we just started to build the youth ministry. And about 18 months into building uh, the youth ministry in the church that I was in, our senior pastor ended up leaving the church. And he'd become like a bit of a dad to us. And uh, he left the church under not such a great cloud. And uh, and the church was kind of sent into turmoil with all of that. And uh, But we carried on because like we were on this adventure and nothing was going to stop us. And about 18 months after that event happened, um, me and my fiancé had got married uh, when we first moved to the church. And about 18 months after, so we were, we were about four years into... Um, our time in Laos, uh, my marriage disintegrated. And uh, literally within the space of 24 hours, it was gone. And uh, so like, you know, came back, we were, we were building youth, we were building an absolutely amazing work in Laos. And uh, all of a sudden found out a few things that were wrong in, in my marriage. And literally within the space of 24 hours, he was gone. And I went, okay, God, this was not on the cards at all. We were literally going to, that weekend, um, after the, all this happened, we were meant to be going down south 
for an interview to go and take over the youth ministry in another church. And it was one of those interviews that wasn't really an interview, it was a given. And uh, if we'd have gone for the interview, we'd have got the job. And, and that's kind of what would have happened. And um, so never went for the interview. And this is what God said to me. And this kind of set me up for 19 years, I think. Um, so I said to God, you know, what, what do I do? You know, um, my then husband was a huge part of what we did. He was kind of the upfront person and uh, I did most of the work. We know that that's usually the way. And uh, and so like, you know, I'm, I, you know, I could do upfront and I could preach and all that. But in schools, I was like, God, what should I do? And this is what God said to me. I'm like, God, no one would blame me if I just walk away, go home and uh, begin to rebuild. And God said to me this. He said, Joe, those young people have lost one shepherd. Don't you dare let them lose another. And I was like, okay, how do I do this on my own? So anyway, carried on the journey, ran the youth and the kids and the schools and did the worship and uh, ran, you know, as much as they would let. If they would give me a department, I would run it. And that is basically how it worked. I think I've done every department in the church other than leading the old people. I'm not that good at that. Okay, I'm not that good at that at all. But uh, but then just kind of, you know, go through leadership, go through leadership battles and uh, all that kind of stuff. And about um, three and a half years ago, we had a meeting with a guy called John Pettifer. I don't know if anyone knows him. Um, but we had a meeting with him and he started to talk to me and my husband. I got re- remarried and, uh, you know, some of our journey uh, of that will come out this morning. But uh, just just came and talked to us and our senior pastor had told us that he was going to be moving on and uh, he has gone and, and he's working um, for the national leadership team of AOG and, uh, and so he was moving on to that and they asked me if I would take on the church. And uh, to be honest with you, I was at a place where I loved being a number two. I loved being a second. I loved um, doing that. I loved making him look good. That was fine with me. I loved kind of, I, I was running it, but if it all went pear-shaped, <laughs> oh, Lee, I'm really sorry that that has happened. You know, I had someone else that I could turn to and kind of go, yeah, the book doesn't stop with me ultimately. It actually stops with you. And uh, we'd taken on a building project and, you know, we couldn't at that point pay our staff. And uh, the church was not in, in a great shape in some ways and in a brilliant shape in other ways. And that is when they came and asked me to lead this thing. And uh, I sat there with my husband who, if, you know, you ever got to talk to him, he would say to you, I never, ever wanted church leadership, ever. And, uh, and here he was, <laughs> sat, you know, in a, in a restaurant somewhere and uh, being asked if, you know, we would take on the senior leadership. And although I am the the kind of the pastor of the church, math is very much a part of what we do. And uh, I have learned some incredible lessons in the last three and a half years as the book stops with me. And uh, it doesn't even stop with math sometimes. He'll kind of look at me and go, so what is the decision going to be? And I'm quite, quite used to at home, he will make the decisions and he will, you know, but when it comes to church, he kind of turns to me and goes, so what is the decision, Joe? Which way are we going to go on this? And all of a sudden I realize that actually the decisions that I make are going to affect the way that we go in the next few years in our church. And there's no one else to look up to for me in the context of my home church because the book stops with me. And what I want to do is share three things, three big things that I have learned 
over the last three and a half years um, and uh, and just kind of give you um, some stuff. We're going to go to Isaiah 54, which is kind of my signature chapter in the Bible. And uh, it's a chapter that for the last 19 years, God has used this chapter to speak into my life. Because do you know what? 19 years on the journey when it's not one. To be honest, many women have gone on. I've not had many women to look at and go, that's how you do this. And uh, thankfully that is changing. And we can see that sat in the room this morning. Thankfully that kind of thing is changing. But as I've gone on this journey, as life has happened to me, you know, usually you enter a time of senior leadership when life stuff have happened to you. And that stands you in good stead for dealing with others. As I've dealt with my brokenness, as I've dealt with those things that God has allowed me to go through. He's not done them, but he has allowed me to go through. This is what I've realized that my brokenness will define my effectiveness. You know, those things that come against you that, that Sue's been talking about this morning, they will begin to define your effectiveness. And it's not if you haven't been through a massive thing that you can never be effective, but if you allow those things that you go through, if you allow God to use them, actually, that will make you effective. And so what I want to do this morning is just look at three big lessons that I have learned in the next 30 minutes and look at what we can do um, when the book stops with us. So Isaiah 54, like I said, my signature chapter. Um, but what do we learn from here when the book stops with us? Number one, I'm a real point kind of preacher. Number one, when the book stops with me, I need to learn to sing through the barrenness. When the book stops with me, situations can't come and take the praise and the song that is in my life. When the book stops with me, I have to create those things. I can't expect someone else to do it. I have to do it. You know, the first verse of Isaiah 54 says this, Sing, O barren woman, you have never given birth. Break into a loud and joyful song, O Jerusalem, you who have never been in labor. Do you know this verse for me is, is has kind of two sides to it. On the one side, it is a verse of absolute release. It is a verse of man alive. When you can do that, when you can sing in the barrenness, there is something powerful about that. And on the other side for me is the, like, the verse that is the bane of my existence. You know when you have those verses in the Bible that you want to kind of shut and don't ever want to read them again and you don't ever want to know? Because part of, part of my story is when... Math and I got married. We found out we couldn't have children and uh, just a huge story surrounding that. And let me tell you, when the book stops with you as a leader, you've got to learn to sing in those times that seem barren. You've got to learn what it is to praise and to create praise in those times that seem barren. And I know from personal experience that singing and barrenness don't naturally go together. They really don't. The last thing you want to do at that moment when you realize that it's not worked again, the last thing you want to do is get your praise on and sing. And I'm telling you that, you know, during our years of um, fertility treatment, I think we failed to conceive around 60 times. And I am like miscompetitive. Okay, I am, I like to succeed at everything I do. And so when I fail at the same thing 60 times, um, it kind of affects you a little bit. And, uh, and this is what I learned through those times. Actually, if 
the book stops with me. I need to learn whatever kind of barrenness I'm in. I've got to need, I need to learn to sing through that. I need to learn to release the song of praise. I need to learn to release something in God that is going to make me get into his presence and lead from that vantage point. You know, this morning, if the book stops with you, wherever that is, whether it is in you just leading yourself, and I know Kate's going to be talking about that, but whether it is leading in a church, whether it is leading in a department of a church, whether it is leading in a business, when the book stops with you, you've got to find a way to sing through those times that are really difficult. You know, when you find a song, when you find your praise, or your worship in the barren season, you claim a new authority. You begin to prophesy of more. You begin to believe for the more. You begin to find your song in the season that you're in. Because what it says in Isaiah 54 is when, you know, it says, sing, O barren woman, you've never given birth. Bring in, break into joyful song on Jerusalem. You've never been in labor. And it talks about the desolate woman, but then it starts to talk about, right, enlarge. What a stupid thing to say to someone who's barren. That is crazy. You know, you who've never had this, you have never uh, ever, ever had a child. You, you are just, it doesn't look like you're ever going to have one. Do you know what? Build another room. Enlarge. You want to, in those times when I used to read this portion of the Bible, I'm like, God, you're having a laugh. You know, enlarge. No. Have you ever had those conversations with God? You know, in large, no. Because there's nothing to fill it. Because there's no reason to do that. And all of a sudden, when you begin to find your song in the middle of the barrenness, God begins to give you the dream of what's going to fill the enlargement that he has told you to build. You know, we need to be women and leaders who decide that when the book stops with us, it doesn't matter what the season, we're going to find the praise and we're going to find the song. And that is what I have learned over these last three and a half years. Because although I know what it is like to be physically barren, and for me, God has never changed that. We've got a great story of adoption and a great story of the kids that, that we've got. God's never changed that for me. But what I've learned in the last three and a half years is actually it's exactly the same in the spiritual. Because the spiritual almost mirrors the natural. So I know what it is in the natural, but actually let's look in the spiritual, in the, in the things that we lead in those barren seasons, you've got to find your song through those times. So what are some of the barren seasons we go through? Do you know what? When you've nothing left to say, I don't know if any of you are preachers in here, but sometimes I get up on a Sunday or whatever. I'm like, God, I have no idea what to say this morning. Got to be careful. Got some people in our church. They'll, they'll see the real thing now. <laughs> But uh, I set the themes, I set this is what we're going to preach on, this is the bit of the Bible I want you to talk on, and I set it for me. I, I do the whole shebang, and all of a sudden, what do you do when you get to the place where you think, I have nothing left to say? Seriously, God, let's just have an extended time of worship or a prayer meeting, basically, is usually what happens, okay, at those times. And uh, But what do you do, you know, when, when you're coming to your team, when you're coming to those people who are going to rely on you for leadership, in those barren times when you don't know what to say, when you don't know what to do, when the team haven't done what they're meant to do, when the team don't even rock up till half an hour after the program started, I don't even any other church has that problem, okay? But when, when those things happen in those, in those barren times, in those tough times when you're not getting the numbers, when you're not, you know, seeing everything that you think you should be seeing, what are you going to do? Because if the book stops with you, you've got to lead those people that are going to be with you on the journey. 
You know, in those times, we'd, when we took on the church, there weren't that many people coming. And, and we've seen growth over the last three and a half years, which is brilliant. But on those Sunday mornings, our church are notoriously bad at getting anywhere on time. So I'll look out at 10 o'clock and go, oh, my life, where is everyone? And I'll sit on the front row and I'll turn around 15 minutes later when it's jam-packed. You know, But you start and you're just going, where is everyone? Do they not know that I have been here since 6.30 this morning? You know, prepping this thing, doing this thing and all of these things. When you don't feel like you've got anything to give, when you feel like, God, I just feel a bit weak right now. And, and if people really knew the state of my life, what would they be saying? Would they still follow me? In those barren times, in those times when you don't know what you're going to say, when you don't know what you're going to give, the best thing you can do is to praise. The best thing you can do is to praise. Because it's out of that that God will give you a word in season. It's out of that that you will preach some of the best things. It's out of that that you will have some of the best times of leadership that you have ever had. Other barren season, what happens when there's barrenness in your growth? In the growth of what it is you're leading? What happens at those times? You know, when you're a senior pastor and you have to navigate the church whilst living in the disappointment that there aren't more people here. And whether we like to admit it or not, we all like to know that there's a following with what we're doing. You know, I have people who come, who work in departments in our church and we're not getting the numbers and, and we're not seeing this. And I have to have something to give in those times when I'm feeling the same from a whole church perspective. In those barren times when you think, where is everyone? Someone's left or a few have left. Where, where is everyone? What's going wrong? What's going on? In those barren times, you've got to learn to find your praise. What about in the barrenness of encouragement? I don't know if you've ever been through this. I know I have. You know, you, you kind of finish your Sunday morning and you see the queue of people waiting and you're like, great, they're all going to tell me how great I am. You know, that was a word in season for his Joe. No, 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 no. That's not always the case. Okay. When you've got the queue of people going, do you realize you left this out? Or, or when you said that and like they, they're, they're not here this morning, those people who do that. But, um, but you, you kind of get the queue of people kind of come in and there is no encouragement. And it's just a barren season where actually you've got to learn to do it yourself. I don't rely on encouragement. It's nice when it comes. But I don't rely on encouragement from the people that I lead. What I rely on is the fact that I'm going to find my song in the barren times. I'm going to learn to encourage myself. I'm going to learn to find encouragement. I'll listen to my own podcast. And I'll amen it. You know? I'm going to find some encouragement for myself because it's not always going to be from an external source. So in those barren times of encouragement, you've got to find something in God. It was said of David that he learned to encourage himself. And when the book stops with me, I've got to learn to encourage myself because not everyone else is going to do it all the time. And so this one, I want to encourage you, you know, to be a woman in leadership who actually learns to encourage yourself. Don't always expect it to be from someone else. What happens when there's a barren season in your own family life? Do you know, for me, this has to be the hardest thing while serving God. You're serving God and there's stuff going on in your family and it's just hard. It's just difficult. Let me tell you, in those times, find your praise. Because as you praise, you begin to see through the eyes of faith what God sees over your family. Because when the book stops with you, not everyone is going to encourage your kids or not everyone 
is going to love on your, your family. Do you know what? That's what God's called me to do. He's called me to love on my kids and love on my family. And in those times where family life is hard, where things are kicking off within the family, you've got to learn when the book stops with you to find your praise in those situations. Sing, O barren woman. When there is barrenness over your world, the greatest thing you can do is the thing that is the most unnatural, and that is to sing. And I'm talking as one with authority to say that because barrenness and singing, they just don't mix. They just don't go together. And God calls something out of you when you are willing to do that. So, you know, um, these barren times are so difficult because we have to bring our emotions under the authority of the word of God. Do you know what? We can never lead from our barrenness. We lead from a position in Christ. We don't lead from our circumstance. You know, sometimes when our leaders get up on a Sunday morning and they give it, and I was just reading this in my devotion, I want to scream no. I'm not saying God never speaks to us through our devotion and we do that, but when it's every time, actually I lead from a different place. I don't lead from the emotion of the week. I don't lead from the stuff that's gone right or the stuff that's gone wrong. I lead from a point in Christ that actually God's called me to lead, so I'm going to do this thing. However my life is going, whatever is happening, I'm going to lead from my position in Christ, not my position from my circumstance. And when the book stops with you, you can't lead from where your life is. You've got to lead from where God says your life is, not where your natural circumstance say your life is. So in these times of barrenness, we don't lead from that place. We lead from wherever God says our life is. When the book stops with you, You are the one who set the tone. You are the one who set the atmosphere. You are the one who set the faith stances. Do you know what? Even if I'm not leading or leading worship or preaching, I can just be sat in the room, but I'll usually set the tone. Just because of who I am. And because I'm gobby and loud. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll set the tone from the front row. You know? I don't need a microphone. I don't need to be up at the front to do that. Simply, I'll go in and I'll set the atmosphere because the book stops with me. Do you know what? If it's a bad atmosphere on a Sunday morning, it's not our worship team's fault. It's not the preacher's fault. It's not the church's fault. Actually, I need to come in and I, I, I have the authority to change the atmosphere in the room. You have the authority to change the atmosphere in the room of your influence. So when those barren seasons kick in, Find your song. Find the thing that is the most unnatural. So the second thing is simply this. When the book stops with me, I have to learn to forgive during the pain. So is this in verse 17? I love this day. But in the, in the coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice that is raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. Do you know what? I can't be the person to wait for a situation to resolve. I have to be the resolver. I have to be the one that wades in with my size tens and, uh, and tries to resolve the situation. Or I send someone in that's a little more pastoral. You know, you have those people in your church, don't you, who are quite pastoral. So I'll send them in first because I know when I go in, um, I know what I'm like. So I know they won't always get the there, there. The Lord bless you. They might get the Lord bless you and then the words with a brick attached to um, the end of it. Okay, I'm not like the most pastoral person in the world. So there are, there's like, there's a really nice lady in our church called Linda and she's just Miss Pastoral. 
She's ace like, you can go in and say, Linda, just this needs addressing. She'll go in, they'll come out smiling, like hugging her. Like if I say the same thing, like people will send me emails and write me letters and, you know, tell everyone how horrible I am. But if Linda says it, it's okay. So, you know, there are times when, when to be the resolver, I might use someone else in that process. But actually as the leader, when the book stops with me, I have to forgive during the pain. I have to literally walk in forgiveness. I have this saying that actually forgiveness, you know what? Forgiveness is not an event. It's a process. It's not an event. I've decided to forgive, so therefore I have. It's an absolute process that we walk through. And when the book stops with me, I'm normally walking that process in about four or five different situations all at the same time. The process of people don't think before they speak and they'll say things that actually hurt. And just because I'm a leader, I may have quite thick skin, but something's getting. <laughs> something's get in. And I need to be someone who walks in forgiveness. Do you know, there has to be, Sue's already said it today, that those who we lead watches, and, and, you know, and for me, probably Liz is the person that's watched me for the longest and uh, has watched me grapple with this issue. As a leader, watch me grapple with the issue of forgiveness, whether that be a marriage breakdown, whether that be things going on in the church. And she's someone that I've sat with and she has watched me grapple with this whole issue. But if the book is going to stop with me, I cannot be someone who doesn't resolve issues. And I don't like confrontation. It's not my favorite thing in the world, but those things need to happen. I've had to have conversations this week, you know, as I've grappled with what people have said. As I've grappled with, with situations in our church at the moment, I've got to be someone who I walk in forgiveness and that forgiveness comes out of my mouth as well as, you know, a, a great example for me to talk about, you know, on days like this. That forgiveness has to come out of my mouth on a daily basis. So I don't say what, I, what I, I'm thinking a lot. What comes out of my mouth does not always mirror what is in my mind. It's a really good job that. And uh, I said if they'd have sent me in as the senior pastor 19 years ago, it would have gone pear-shaped. Because usually what was in my mind just came out of my mouth. You know, it, it didn't matter what it was. Okay, And I was talking to young people, so you can kind of get away with it. You can be quite harsh with young people. You know, We have this kind of thing going on, Liz and I. Liz is our youth pastor. And uh, there are some days that I really want to swap roles. Because like, you can just go and tell young people. I used to tell Liz how it was all the time. Okay, And then they give you adults. It's a whole different ball game. Okay, and uh, and so, you know, we've got to be, when the book stops with us, we've got to forgive during the pain. We can't wait for something to be resolved to start on the forgiveness journey. Do you know, when the book stops with me, I have to diffuse situations. My feelings usually have to be laid to one side so I can diffuse a situation when the book stops with me. When the book stops with me, I am learning this more and more. Um, the longer I go on in leadership, when the book stops with me, I have to let go in the spirit. You know, sometimes you have those people who can control your spirit. Who can, you know, control how, what you feel about God, what you feel about the church, what you feel about leadership. There are those people probably in all of our worlds who can do that. I was sat, this is this week. Okay, so I'm not telling you a journey that I went on 15 years ago and it's all hunky-dory now and I get it right every single time. I was sat with, with John Petty for this week and uh, we were just having lunch together and he's a bit of a mentor and a spiritual father um, for me and my husband. And I was sat with him and we were talking through a situation 
and he put his knife and fork down. You always know that is a bad moment when he stops eating. Okay, so he put his knife and fork down and, I, and I'm telling him about something that's going on and he looked at me and he points at me and like he is, he is like there and I am here. Like it's, it's not like he's far away. So he has to point at me so I know it's me he's talking to. There's only us two sat at the table and, and he points his finger at me and he went, I am going to tell you this once. I'm like, okay. And, uh, and he went, just let it go. I've been told. That's it. He's told me. And he, and he was being very, actually very pastoral and very fatherly. And, uh, he said, he said, this has got a hold of your spirit. If it just had a hold of you in the natural, it would be one thing, but this has got a hold of your spirit and it stops now. I was like, okay. You see, I'm learning that actually there are some people that can kind of control what I do and all that. But when something gets into my spirit, when my spirit becomes less because of how someone else is behaving, something has to change. And they're not going to. So it has to be me. And I have to choose sometimes in pain and, and in a struggle to let something go. And for me, you know, in the situation that I was talking to him about, um, you know, it, it wasn't kind of, you know, letting go something that somebody said or anything like that. Sometimes it's, it's just letting people go. Sometimes it's letting people go to the extent where you go, they cannot rule my spirit anymore. Brian Houston often says this, that you can't let anyone rule your spirit. You can't let anyone dictate how your spirit is going to respond or react. So when the book stops with me, I need to let go. It says um, in that verse 17, it says this, that you will refute every tongue that accuses you. To refute means this, to say or prove that a person's statement or opinion is wrong. And there will be things that come against us as leaders that actually we need to start and refute. We need to start and get a little bit of strength on us that say, actually, no, you are wrong. And we may never say to the person's face, but, it, but in our prayer life and, and in, our, in our posture of who we're going to become, you say, actually, no, you are wrong. I am not going to limit who I am in God to what you're saying over my life right now. That may be your opinion, but let me tell you, your opinion is incorrect. That may be your opinion of me. A lot of people have had an opinion of me that, you know, I'm just, I'm just kind of this thick skinned person who can take whatever people throw at me. And that may be their opinion of me and, and they don't have to, you know, be nice or be kind. And that may be their opinion. But you know what? There is a difference between your opinion and what the truth is. And we need to actually, as leaders, get something on us that is okay to tell someone, whether it be to their face or whether it be in our own prayer life, actually, God, they are wrong. You will refute every accusation that comes your way that is not in line with the Spirit of God. So if people are saying things over you that are not right, when the book stops with you, no one else is going to change that for you. Thirdly, I'm going to have to miss some of it out. Okay. Thirdly, when the book stops with me, I have to work through the frustration and stay the course. You know, most of the stuff life has thrown at me have, has been whilst I've been under someone else's leadership which has been great, you know, and uh, so I went through a divorce and I was under someone else's leadership. So I, I could, 
You know, if things got too hard in church, they would take it. You know, if things got too rough for me, they would come in and help me. They would take things off me. They would pastorally care for me. They would do all of those things. Okay, when I went through um, infertility treatment for six or seven years, I had a great senior pastor who would just come. I had great um, people on my team when I was youth pastoring who would just come and help me. I was always under someone else's leadership. And then all of a sudden, the last 18 months have brought with it um, a, a few things in my life and all of a sudden I'm not under their leadership anymore and the book stops with me and you know what I have to go through the frustration I have to stay the course what has God told me to do my pastor when I was growing up in our church everyone wants to know about the will of God don't they and and then you go to bible college and in month one people want to know what they're doing when they finish in like three years and uh, and God doesn't always tell you in month one what you're going to be doing because a lot of things can change. And my pastor used to say to me, the will of God's easy, Joe. I used to go, okay. He says, just do the last thing he told you and you'll be absolutely fine. And you know what? That is what I've done the whole of my life. Just done the last thing he's told me. I've just carried on. And, and when the book stops with you, you've got to stay the course. You know, I have to work through some of the tough stuff now, believing that his power in me is really made perfect in my weakness. Because you can get to a position of leadership and think, that's it, I've, I've arrived, I'm strong. Actually, for me, I have probably been the weakest or felt the weakest that I've ever felt in the last two years, three years. When we sat down to talk about taking the church on, I was going through a time where I was, I was actually a little depressed and that is not like me. I'm like, can see a silver lining on any cloud. You know, the glass is not just half full, but the glass is full, whether there is anything in it or not. That's the kind, I am Tigger. That is the, the kind of person that I am. And uh, so when I went through like just a bout of just feeling really down and then that was the time that we took the church on. That was interesting. It was really interesting because all of a sudden the book stopped with me. And you cling on to things like, God, your power really has to be made perfect in my weakness. Because actually, there's not much strength there. So it certainly can't be made perfect in my strength. And uh, I want to encourage you today, whatever form of leadership you are in, the hardest lesson that I've had to learn in my entire life, this is not just a leadership lesson, this is a life lesson, the hardest lesson that I've had to learn about God is simply this, that God can do all things. I think we all believe that. You know, we sing it, we declare it, we declare it over situations, we believe it, God can do all things, but God doesn't always do them. Sometimes God allows you to go through stuff and he doesn't do the thing you're asking him to do. Hardest lesson that I've ever learned is that God could change everything with one word. But sometimes for my benefit, for the benefit of those that I lead, because when the book stops with me, sometimes God allows me to go through stuff so I can be there for someone else. God doesn't always do the thing that I ask him to do. Sometimes he sends me through, like Sue was saying, he sends me through the process. And Isaiah 54 shows us that so clearly that God sometimes sends us through 
the process. The faith seeds that are planted in the God moments of your life will grow as you constantly choose to stay the course and do the right thing. The seeds may be planted in a moment of true, you know, heaven on earth moment as we're worshiping this morning. Seeds of faith, as we sit under great teaching, seeds of faith, as we're in those moments with God where we feel we can conquer the world, the seeds of faith are planted. But they grow in those times in life where you go, seriously, God? Seriously? They grow in those times of life when all you do is constantly choose the right thing. When all you do is decide, actually, I am going to stay the course. I am going to finish the race. I am going to work through the frustration. You know, for me, a lot of people stand up and say, you know, leadership is the last thing that they ever wanted. For me, it's the only thing I've ever wanted. And not from a point of arrogance, but to serve Jesus, let me put it that way. It's all I've wanted to do since I was a kid. Since I was 14, I knew the call of God was on my life. I've never strayed from it. I've never gone away from it. I've never even fought it. Even in the tough times, I've never fought what God has called me to do. You know, so I'm not coming at it from one of those leadership's awful, leadership's hard. You know, leadership is the best thing ever. When God calls you to do it, embrace it with both hands. Because it's the most amazing, phenomenal life. But there are lessons to be learned, especially when the book stops with you. That you set the tone. You find the song in the barrenness. That you forgive continually, even when the situation isn't resolved. And that you learn to walk through the frustrations and stay the course. Those are just some of the things that I've picked up along the way. You know, over the last three and a half years or so that we've been doing this. And over the last 19 years serving God full time in church. But this morning, I just want to really encourage you. God has called you to leadership and you sat in the room, so he obviously has. God has called you into leadership, whatever kind of stage on the journey that you are at, you know, be someone who is going to decide that actually I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to do this thing, whatever I'm going to do it. Let's stand together. Let's pray because my 40 minutes is up. Kate Kent's still talking. I can tell you that now. Okay. She'll still be going. We'll have all finished dinner. And eventually they'll emerge out of the room where they were with Kate. <laughs> but uh, let's pray together. I don't know, maybe, you are, maybe you're at the beginning of the leadership journey, maybe you're senior pastors or, or whatever. But if you know that actually um, there needs to be something that changes in you where the book stops with you, I just want you to raise your hand because you know what that thing is. You know, you know that actually something in you has got to change. When the book stops with you, it might be something I've said. It might be something that God's working on outside of this. But uh, you just know that this morning God's speaking to you. I just want to pray for you this morning. So just raise your hand where you are. We're all going to pray together. God, I thank you for a room full of amazing women who are called to leadership, Father. And I pray right now that, God, your Holy Spirit will just really begin to speak to us. Lord, I pray, Lord, for those who are in the barren season, whether that be a natural thing or whether that be a spiritual thing, Lord, I pray that, God, in this season, they will find their praise that makes 
them become women that are resilient to the barrenness that is around them. Father, I pray today that your Holy Spirit, God, will cause that praise, that song to well up inside of them. God, if there's anyone here just walking through those those tough seasons, God, where forgiveness needs to be a thing that we walk in, Lord, I just really pray you'll help them today. God, I know that season, and I know that season as a leader, and Lord, I pray that, that God, as they begin to walk in that forgiveness, that God, you will help them, that you will be with them. And Father God, I pray for all of us today that we will be leaders who, when the book stops with us, we work through the frustration, that we don't give up. God, there is a difference between when we give up and when you tell us to lay something down. I pray we will always be leaders who lay things down at the right time, but never leaders who just give up because the frustration gets too hard. Lord, I pray for resilience. Lord, I pray for strength. I pray that you'll teach us to refute those things, God, that stand in our way and that come against us. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit this afternoon will do something incredible in us. Lord, I thank you for the amazing um, heritage that the church has got sat in this room. And Lord, I just really pray that we will always take up the baton and fight the fight and do everything that you have called us to do. In Jesus' name. Amen.